0: Hey guys, thank you for tuning into 30 Minutes Off. This is your host, Shrey Jain. And on today's, on today's the first episode of 30 Minutes Off, my very new podcast, and I have a really, really special guest with me today. Uh, with us on the call today is Shauna Khanda. Shauna, would you like to t- introduce yourself?
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Shrey. It's an absolute honor to be the first guest on this soon to be esteemed podcast show. I'm an 11th grader start in the IB program at TISB. And I'm a very good friend of Shreya's. I'm his senior. So I'm looking forward to what this podcast has ahead.
0: Right, guys. So I called upon Sharnak for my first episode, essentially because over the years, I've noticed Sharnak in school and I've seen uh, what a great personality he has and he's dominant in various different topics. And I feel that it's going to be a great conversation with him today. So before we jump into any of the main topics, how are you doing, Sharnak House 2021, Bill, for you so far?
1: I'm doing very well. It's been up and down. Um, for me, my boards haven't been cancelled. I'm in the 11th grade, so I don't have boards. And I'm now, we are n- I'm now part of the most senior batch at school. So that's been one of the biggest changes. And other than that, I think it's been all right. Um, I think it's been, I mean, I would, I would say the same as 2020. So, I mean, hopefully, situation corona gets better. But otherwise, more or less the same.
0: I remember just back in 7th grade, when I joined school in boarding, you were in 8th grade and boarding, living one floor above me. Now you're a 12th grader in a few months, the oldest in the school. How does it feel like suddenly becoming so old?
1: Well, I feel like the time just flew. I remember it was just yesterday we were in Singapore for football. Like I remember it so vividly and how that was almost two years ago. So I feel like time is just flying and I, I haven't kept track of where it went. But yeah, it's exciting times ahead and looking forward
0: yeah so good luck for um, iba and especially your 12th grade so i'll jump into the topics for today and something which is a hot topic recently is the european super league and i know you've been really active in this for those of you who don't know shonak is a really really top level football player uh, if i had to be honest probably one of the best i've seen so shonak um, just a okay, brief... this is people... enough of the butter <laughs> but right. yeah
1: so essentially the europa the i not the european super league is can be we, can we can, can we concluded as a league which is made out of greed for more money and the desire for, you know, just accumulating more wealth for the club owners. Now, Definitely. essentially, with the idea with this league was that it's a breakaway league. Now, to explain that to you guys in more layman terms. It's basically that, as of now, the way football in the Europe works is every team across um, the country is part of a certain league which is part of a certain division. So in Europe, we have the top division, which is the Premier League, then the Championship, then League One, League Two, League Three. And after which we have nine more divisions, after which non-professional leagues start. And for those of you that don't know, Jamie Vardy, the striker for Leicester, he was part of a non-pro league and then he made it big to Leicester. So it's a very, I mean, it's a great grassroots platform and basically encourages everyone. And the essential idea of this is that everyone who plays in the top league has been is playing out of merit. So, for example, um, Norwich in the upcoming season, because they played well in the league below and they won the championship, they're going to go on and to be to be promoted, and they're going to get the and and then they, they're going to play at the top level. And essentially, the same idea with European football: top four leagues in England play the Champions League, and fifth and sixth play Europa. Now, essentially, there were some very big flaws with the you know, Champions League system as of now with only 32 teams progressing to the final round. I think 32 teams in total. I think 32 teams in total from the start, with eight groups and four groups, with four teams. Yeah, it was 32 in total. Yeah, this system meant that clubs played very frequently and not enough clubs were given the opportunity. So many clubs that were esteemed often missed out on these spots. Now, club owners, I mean, they're after more money and Champions League is where the money was. However, our man Fiorentino Perez, who is the... um, chairman of, a president, I think, of um, Real Madrid, has proposed that he's going to save football by proposing this new league that basically accumulates more wealth. Now, I think the point he doesn't understand is that by making the best teams in Europe play on like an every week basis, like Real United, next week Barca United, then Atletico United, then Juventus United. I'm sorry I'm singing United. But these fixtures in the current day, I mean way of things, they don't happen very often. And that's like the essential idea of why they're so special. You don't see them playing every other week. And that's why the Champions League is special. That's why people across the world stay up late. They wake up early and they want to see these games. Now, he just thinks that by grouping these teams together, they're going to accumulate so much more wealth because they're the big clubs playing. Now, the essential fundamental idea of grassroots football has been ruined because now they're not playing out of merit, but only out of the fact that they're a quote-unquote big club. And this is a worry because what happens to the other smaller clubs? The system which has been in place the last 150 years is in shambles. And more than this, I think a bigger worry is how these big clubs are actually performing really bad in their leagues. Except for United and City who are first and second in the Prem. Chelsea, um, Spurs and Arsenal haven't had a very good season. Chelsea just drew with Brighton two days ago. And I think this is a big worry. And this is why club owners thought that moving to a league where they have no competition and they are playing every year would accumulate more uh, revenue.
0: Exactly like you explained, um, like like Shonok explained, guys, he couldn't have put it in better words about what the European Super League is and what it has done. But just by bringing 20 teams and guaranteeing 15 of them a permanent spot despite of poor participation just shows that how financially dependent that particular league has become. And like he said, most of the big clubs, which so-called big clubs, aren't even performing well. And you see uh, clubs, uh, upcoming clubs, such as West Ham and Everton and Leicester, who were not considered in the big six, performing much better than other clubs and playing higher up in the Premier League and yet not making it to the so-called European Super League, which was supposed to be a wealthy league. Uh, Correct, like you said, we'd see really big fixtures. Fixtures we wait for throughout the year, we'd be seeing them week to week. And that really depreciates the value of those uh, fixtures.
1: Yeah, so I think another example you've taken over there is um, Leicester. Leicester were the black horse of the 2015-16 season. The odds for them winning the league were 5,000 to 1, which for them to achieve that was incredible. And that only happened because they progressed through the championship, then in the Premier League, and were then given a fair opportunity to compete with others. And I think one of the essential ideas that makes football football is any team can beat any team at any given point of time. And as long as this belief is there, football will continue to thrive and be a competitive sport. But with the idea that clubs will be playing based off their size or their value is extremely bizarre. And bizarre. And I think one of the other things that I'd like to point out is even in Italy, the cl- clubs like Juventus, Milan, the two Milan clubs, they've had a pretty bad week so far. Um, AC Milan just lost the other day and Juventus also. So I feel like with club owners noticing how smaller teams can potentially, you know, beat them and outperform them with a smaller budget, it surely is a cause for concern. But I think just because it's a cause for concern doesn't mean you completely remove yourself from the system. I don't think it's a fair basis. It's like just because you you can possibly lose, you're detaching yourself from a system that you depend upon and, and that you had won previously. And just because you're not doing that right now, it's not fair. So I think I think that's a pretty um concise description of what these club owners are doing and this I mean our man Fiorentino Perez says how this is going to save football but if I want to look down into more of the finance aspect of football so as of now what happens is football is is based on uh, football teams have their budget based on various factors where they're finished in the league how many trophies they win and more importantly the sponsorship now the idea behind sponsorship is that the more the team plays, the better the club they go to or, you know, the more representation they have. For example, um, City's home sponsor, Ethiard, they have a place on their jersey because Ethiard pay more than City, let's say, the Nexen tires. I'd, so essentially, this money grouped together gives City their budget and gives City money to spend. Now, the issue with mm-hmm. now what, what a European Super League would do is it removes opportunities for, for smaller teams like Sheffield, that have Adidas as their sponsor and other sponsors as well. Now, what happens is Sheffield and City play every year twice. Now, because they play twice, City is a big club. Sheffield United do um, thrive on the revenue they gain by these matches with City, United, Chelsea, actually games across the Premier League. But if you remove these six clubs, which are essentially one of the big, like the top shots of Europe, this revenue will significantly go down and will reduce the budget for smaller teams as well. And the smaller we go, or the lower we go in terms of the divisions, the lower the money the lower teams will get. So essentially, this idea would just make the richer teams richer, and slowly but and eventually we would see the decline of so many small European teams. So this is one of the things which is a big concern for football.
0: So, like you said, there's one thing that I'd like to ask you about this. So if if the European Super League was to take place, since you have a fair idea about the financial aspect and how this would carry out. Uh, would you think that this would benefit, for, uh, like have a huge benefit for the bigger clubs in the league financially since they would be playing bigger games, games that would have the highest viewing uh, revenues over the year? So do you think that would cause a spike in the prices?
1: I mean, absolutely. So essentially the idea is a super league is just going to get the best of the best and make them compete on a on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, the issue with that is that the best of the best don't compete on a, on a weekly basis. And although I'm saying that every week by doing this, people, it will be, it'll become re- redundant and people won't watch it. I mean, I've heard rumors of these games taking place in cities like Dubai, New York, and uh, Sydney, and these various places where where people of these countries don't see these races, I mean, these matches every single day. So this will essentially, I mean, and, and they also say that how they will increase the price revenue. And if I have my figures correctly, I think the Champions League as of now earns 4.5 billion euros every year out of which it's divided amongst the clubs that take part the european super league projection showed how they would earn seven billion a year and this financial package looked so enticing to all the clubs so i feel like yes definitely the prices will go up and i think that answers your question
0: yeah it does and something else i'd like to point out about what you said is about how These matches being really big matches were planned to be conducted in huge cities like Dubai and New York throughout the world, but that also deprives the fans of their home advantage and their home games like for example, Premier League is a a domestic club league which is dominant in England, and the big six clubs the big six cities moving out of that league would deprive the fans of all those cities from watching their uh, clubs play week in, week out, and these matches being conducted throughout the world. Also, doesn't, it doesn't allow the fans to be a part of the culture and play the, watch these games.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't agree less. Because essentially what you're doing is, football is basically about supporters coming in and sharing their clubs. If there's a second leg happening in Liverpool, for example, um, Atletico fans will fly in from Madrid to just wit- to just witness their team perform. And I mean, Athletic Madrid to London isn't that much of a travel. So these guys can afford it and these guys can do it too. I mean, I, I saw a quote which was said by the UFR president in which um fans will shed out their last penny to support their team. And I couldn't agree with that if, like to, to any extent because that is such a true statement. Because what happens is that with the, with these matches taking place in different cities, you, you you correctly pointed out about the home and away advantage, but you're not having fans. You're basically going to get a set of plastic fans for a day with all due respect to every single club and everyone who's supporting these teams for a day or two that will just come up and show up. Look at what happened with IPL last year in UAE. The advantage was taken away definitely. And I feel like just to like, I mean, of course it was for a different measure, but the home advantage was definitely taken away. And that feeling of playing in India had had been taken away. So we could possibly see a similar aspect. And I mean, football is football because of the crux of where it's played, what happens, what competition it's in. Right. And by taking away the basics of football or what makes football football, the sport won't be the same and players won't enjoy it as much because you go to these countries for preseason and you see what happens when you play these teams on a week in, week out basis. It's almost like a Sunday league game. It's like a, it's like a fitness match where they make money off. And if I could just point out what happened in Korea or um, or China, where Ronaldo played for Juventus, I don't, I don't, call recall, I don't quite recall. I mean, he just played one half and the organisers had said Ronaldo would play the full 90 minutes. And eventually what happened was that the fans that paid for the tickets sued and got like $12,000 in compensation, which is like extreme. And this is what's going to happen when you make football go out of Europe. So
0: this, this, this is my view on this. That's perfectly right. That's what I was looking for. Apart from that, there's something which uh, we could look at as the consequences of the Super League taking in place. The 12 clubs that chose to join the Super League had a lot of consequences to, by, uh, to face by the FIFA, UEFA domestic organizations where UEFA said that you cannot participate in the Champions League. FIFA said that you might not be able to represent your country. And how do you think that impacts on the players since the players didn't so really all, have any say in the decision? That's,
1: so that's a massive impact because... What you're looking at is players that want to play at the top level of European football, players that want to thrive, players that want to do well in the world and play in these esteemed competitions. They're not, giving, they're not going to be given the chance to. But more importantly, I think one of the essential ideas we're going to look at over here is, so just imagine, Shrey, a Premier League club like City, for example, is also playing in the Champions League. They're also playing in the Premier League. They're also playing in, the, they're also playing in Carabao Cups and these other teams. And they're getting a good amount of money from it. Okay. But then why do they think that these six teams will play week in, week out, gain so much additional revenue and so much additional money, and they'll feel free to come back and face teams with, I mean, in which they have in which they have a superior advantage to. Like this added money will definitely pump up their transfer budget and the money the club operates on. And these six teams will have a, an unfair advantage on the other teams, which almost breaks financial fair play. It's like saying... Just to gain more money, every week we'll arrange a, a, a match between the big clubs. So Chelsea and Athletic will come up with an agreement. We'll play every week, so we get more money, and then we go back to our leagues and we show we have we have more money. So we buy better players. You're essentially widening the wealth gap between the poorer clubs and the richer clubs, and this is not at all fair.
0: That's right. Uh, to our good news, the so-called death of football has. Been eradicated as a lot of the clubs have um, withdrawn from their contracts but Perez the president of this European Super League has stated in his recent interviews that there are, they aren't actually bound off the contract yet and they're still a part of this and he's still keen on taking under this project or a new project in the future and how do you think that's going to go down you think he's going to be successful later?
1: So I think the clubs have realized um, how much of an impact fans make because without fans football is nothing as seen by the last couple of days we had about what 10,000 uh, supporters outside of that Sanford Bridge protesting and Peter Cech had to come out and stop them because he, I mean that's one realization that's why Chelsea were the first club to go ahead with this and go ahead with the with the derailing process and I mean as much as Perez wants to do his mimicry and ha ha legal proceedings whatever I think that there's a fine line between what's possible and what's not and I'm sure there's a legal binding contact which the clubs have agreed to. But I feel like with UEFA and these super bodies coming into play, and it's only Fiorentino Perez who's the one that they're that they're going to face. It's going to be a piece of cake. To, I mean, of course, it's going to cost a lot of money. But I feel like a collective effort in which they will together like, take him down, it's going to be possible. I mean, look at the people that have resigned. And look at, that, look at the people that have... I mean, Ed Woodward has resigned. And this is out of shame. I mean, I've heard some rumors about him texting people how he's so disappointed in him. And it's the biggest mistake he's made. And I think that's rightful. Because what he did was out of greed and not for the betterment of the club. And it's the same with Fiorentino Perez. And it's only a while until these guys realize. And also because, I mean, in Spain, they have the Sociedad rule, where it's a 50 plus one rule. And I think that's the big advantage Real Madrid have. Because I am so sure about Real Madrid fans climbing on the voting systems and getting this guy out and voting against this Super League. So... I mean, I'm sure there are going to be challenges, but I'm sure it's something the clubs can't collectively face.
0: That's right. And um, with that, we'll come to the pause of this particular conversation with football. And that's something which has been delightful to talk about. And I've been in conversation with you about the Super League as you try to play an active role as a fan uh, to eradicate this by signing a petition, which I think did pretty well. Uh, moving on to the next topic. So another field that I've seen you quite actively participate in um, comes under the general subject of economics. You were a part of a key member of winning a national-wide economics tournament, and you also started a software called Easy Trade. So would you like to tell our audience what EasyTrade was, Shauna?
1: Sure. So um, essentially, finance has been in my blood, and it's one of the things I'm extremely passionate about. And more importantly, I think the concept of financial literacy is something that lacks in this country and it has to be something that has to be worked on extensively so the future generations have you know the ability to manage their finances and can perform better for themselves so i think essentially the idea behind easy trade was to make learning about the stock market simple or, and fun because i mean what, what i saw was that 18 year olds plus i mean 18, 18 year old year olds so that it's an opportunity for them to make money, quick bucks, and stuff like that. But I think it's more about getting the message across about you know what's right and what's wrong. Because while trading is helpful and you know it's it's a good skill to have, I just think that on a long term basis, you should know about financial literacy and how you should manage your assets. So EasyTrader was basically an app that it, like promoted investing in the long term and made it fun by by making you compete with your friends. So, almost like Fantasy Premier League or like another team or, or, or like any other league where you play with your friends online, you choose stocks, you invest in them, you choose in the right time to invest in them, and you compete with your friends. And essentially, you're on a leaderboard and you can show your superiority by them. So, I basically thought by making learning about stock market fun, so many more people will come on board and so many more people will enjoy the entire concept of learning about the stock market. And I feel like when anything is made fun or when learning is made fun, people learn the concept so much better. And this is, I think these are the baby steps, baby steps I've taken to help promote financial literacy in the country.
0: Definitely, this acted like a simulator and it was something which a lot of people were inclined towards. Understanding that the miners are not encouraged to participate in the stock market, uh, this was an opportunity for them to show their inclination towards uh, trading. Um, something, Sean, I wanted to point out is that I have a strong inclination towards business and economics, and that's mainly because I cannot see myself doing fields of sciences where there's a fair amount of memorization taking place and there's a lot of There's very less practicality of the subject because the facts are facts, whereas in business and eco, I see myself uh, open to a whole realm of possibilities when I'm allowed to step into the shoes of a person and think under various circumstances. What about about business or economics or that commerce sector inclined you towards walking down that path and motivated you to create uh, such a software?
1: So I think unlike you, I don't find myself as a science or commerce student. I find myself a bit of both just aspects of which I think that my inclination towards this came as a result of, I think the skills I've developed over time and why I think that I can perform really well in this, in, in, in this field. And that is because I feel my skills or I'm a very on the spot thinker and I can foresee, I mean, although theoretically it, it, many things are possible and you can learn in the, in the classroom. I see myself as someone who learns a lot outside the classroom and the real world to real world examples. And I feel like with my, with my ability to think on the spot and come up with solutions on the spot, I found myself apt for this role and know someone pursuing, um, commerce. So, I mean, in, in Indian terms, commerce, but business economics for sure. So yeah, that's one of the biggest reasons or biggest motivators that made me choose this path.
0: So since you stated that you're planning to uh, go down a stream of commerce and economics, I'm curious to find out, is there any particular uh, occupation or future you're looking at as a career path right now, or are you just looking at the field in general?
1: So now it's such an expansive field and it's so rapidly growing. I feel like almost anything you choose right now in a couple of years will change in terms of the job description and what it holds for, aside from the very typical um, jobs. So I feel like what I'm looking at down the line is something related to this field, where I can use my skills into relevant application and make the most of it. So essentially, while I haven't pointed something out in a, in a broader aspect, I have, and I have a fair idea of what I want to do.
0: That's cool. That's cool. And talking about stocks in general uh, and specifically uh, in the past, we've seen that the stock exchange was something that, One had to participate in more physically, but with the AI coming in, there's a lot of apps like Upstocks and the General Stocks app, which allows you to participate online from anywhere at any time. How do you think that is revolutionized stocks? And why do you think trading in stocks is an important skill to have?
1: Your financial literacy is, I mean, essential to the country and one of the things which is extremely important. So I think that these, I mean, so basically we've seen so many revolutions in terms of so many different fields, mobile phones, laptops, iPads, tablets, medicines, healthcare, like, you know, they're different fields. I think it was about time that this new, I mean, this new way of investing came to everyone because essentially what you're doing is you're making investing possible for anyone everywhere in the world. And as you rightly pointed out, this revolutionized everyone's, I mean, everyone's approach towards investing. Like, EZT would not be possible if the idea of virtual investing anywhere you are in the world wouldn't be already there. People would look at it with, with a lot more skepticism. So I feel like because, the, because you can possibly... You know, reach out to so many more people. It's so much more accessible to people. For example, if I want to promote, I mean, my idea behind Easy Trade was to promote financial literacy, not just amongst teens, but amongst farmers in rural areas and people in rural areas. And the one thing they have access to, if not laptops, if not seminars, if not people, are mobile phones. And they have apps on their mobile phones. So because they have apps, they can possibly download Easy Trade and they can start learning how to invest. And that is such a big factor because you are now you are now teaching someone a, a life skill which is going to be so beneficial for them. So I feel like this is an aspect which has truly revolutionized the way um investing I mean works or even
0: trading works. That is a great initiative you've undertaken, and that's something really really uh, admirable. Moving on, uh, Shaonak, unfortunately you had to start your IB during the lockdown, and it's been over a year since the corona has been dictating the world so i want to ask you over time how has the corona and the lockdown shaped you and how are you accustomed to it and become uh, become a changed personality to adjust to the present times
1: so my boards got cancelled like yours did in march in the, in the middle of march i think just after the first lockdown was announced so it was a pretty weird time for me because i don't know what to expect so for a couple of months i've worked on a lot of different aspects worked on my profile worked on my resume and a couple of extracurriculars in august when school started It was really new because it was the first time I was doing or anyone in my grade was doing online school and we hadn't been exposed to teams at all. So it was a new experience for me. And I feel like in the world right now, we have a pandemic to deal with. And although the online system is not suitable, it is definitely a very healthy approach and we should be very grateful. We have access to learning during such tough times. We have a stable internet connection. We have access to these amazing platforms that allow us to interact with our teachers, our peers. And even though I agree there are so many discomforts, I feel like the opportunities that online learning gives us are incredible. I have, I save almost on a daily basis two hours in terms of my daily commute. And it gives me so much more extra time to work on my passions, makes me like extra time to study and you know, other things as well. Um, in addition to this, I feel like one very big aspect that um, online learning has brought to my life, which is very fortunate, is that because I'm a very um, extroverted person and I love socializing, I have the opportunity to talk to so many new people and so many new kids. Because you are not interacting with them in person anymore, so at first it was tough. But through the use of online platforms like Instagram, um, Facebook, WhatsApp, you've we, I've been able to connect with them and have really insightful conversations with them. So I feel like that's been the crux of it. But I think more importantly, one of the ways we can combat with this pandemic is through a routine, where you follow on a daily basis, so that you have, a, so that you feel like you are actually doing something for a bigger purpose and you work more towards it. And while no routines may not be everyone's thing, I think that it's especially beneficial during these tough times because it gives you something to look forward to and you do it like and it also disciplines you. So I feel like one thing which has made me, I mean, really cope, cope with this pandemic is my routine. And honestly, guys, to anyone listening, I feel like your routine doesn't necessarily have to be one in which you sleep early, you wake up early, or in which you study a hundred hours, you study like eight, eight eight hours in a day. It's one in which you do what you want to do at so but once you start aligning the things you need to do with the time you need to do it you form a routine so a breakdown of my routine would be I sleep around 12 o'clock and I wake up around 6.30. I get a nice workout in the morning before starting school and that's the additional time which school has given me. Now by sitting on my on a desk on like in front of a desk the entire day it's going to be bad for your I mean for your health. So essentially what I do is at the end of every lesson I go for a two minute walk around my room. And I mean, I'm so grateful for breaks in which I can, I take a, a walk around the house. And I feel like when you have when you do these small, small things on a repeated basis, they make a very big impact. And to anyone hearing this, I would definitely encourage you to start a routine of your own so you can work more effectively.
0: It's great to know that you've taken the uh, lockdown positively while there's simultaneously a lot of negatives and how it's affected us. Uh, moving on to the one light-sided end to this discussion, Sean, is a question Uh, I'm hoping a great answer from you. Um, So the question is that you get to live the life of any one person, dead or or alive for a day. Who would it be?
1: So essentially, Shreya asked me this question an hour ago, and this is the question I'm going to be asking you. And while I don't have a very firm answer right now, I think someone I would love to live the life of right now is Narendra Modi. Not because, I mean, I don't want to bring any politics into it, because he is a Prime Minister of India, and I want to see the work he does day to day, and how I can assist more in that role. Especially because during the situation right now, it's going to be an extremely difficult time for him. I will have to live the life of what what goes on in his day, how he deals with the situation, and what he does. And although I know there are so many different aspects of people looking like, oh, he's not doing a good job, oh, he's not doing this. I don't think anyone has ever prepared for a pandemic of any sorts, let aside something of this gravity. And I feel like this is why I feel like someone, I mean, not just Mirinda Modi, I think any of the world's leaders who are facing the situation, I want to be in their shoes and I want to see their approach to it so I can learn so many more things. So yeah, my, my answer would be any leader of the world or anyone who's possibly trying to make a change.
0: That's a lovely answer. And I'm sure they really like standing in those shoes for anyone gives you a lot of perspective and tells you a lot more than what we see of them and their speeches that we hear. It's been an absolute delight talking to you, Seanak. and you've given me everything I expected from this conversation and a lot more. Actually, thank you for giving me your time and joining us on the first episode of 30 Minutes Off. I hope you had a great time. I did straight.
1: Thank you so much. I've had a lot of fun talking to you about this stuff. I wish you all the best. Very
0: sorry for the audio being cut off like that, but Sean was saying all the best for the future episodes. A big thanks to Seanak for his time, and I'm very grateful to have him on my podcast for the first episode. It was a delightful conversation as we spoke about football, finance, and fighting the lockdown. And I hope you had a great time listening to it. By no means am I perfect and I'd be more than happy if any of you had any feedbacks or suggestions about the podcast or what I could change to improve it. You can reach out to me on my Instagram, which is at shrejian15. So you can DM me there. Thank you all so much for tuning in and I hope you're having a great day. I'll be back soon with a new episode and a new guest. Until then, take care, stay safe.